Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And today we're talking about the therapist community or village, as in, it takes a village to be a good healer, helper, doctor. Yes. So continuing on our, with our conversation about how to help ourselves deal with burnout as healers and helpers, feel better and practice better, and specifically how to find the tribe that we each need in order to do the work of helping. It takes a village to raise a good therapist, but this village building can be a problem for those of us who work in solo practice or even in a clinic. Finding peers to help with our work is tricky. Yes. Um, And we've been out there talking to helpers um, and hearing things like, I'm not close to other therapists. I don't even like them. Um, Or we work behind closed doors and so we don't see each other. Um, Or I don't have things in common with other therapists, other counselors. And our systems of credentialing and oversight may be a part of this reluctance. We may be set up to fear each other's criticism and judgment or just to have a sense that we are so different from others practicing in our areas that we wouldn't like each other. Right. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Doug Shirley. He is a therapist and a researcher and writer. He trains counselors um, at the Seattle School. And I found him through his writing, um, which really shows his understanding of the relational life of the counselor, the therapist, and why we have such difficulty connecting with each other. But first, let's come home to the body. So Gabor Mate talks a lot about self-separation. And we think, Deborah and I have discussed, that it's very important to be able to be present. And one easy way to do that is just to notice what your body feels like. So just take a moment. If you're standing, feel how your feet are touching the floor. If you're sitting, you can feel how your sits bones touch the chair or how your body touches the chair in general. Just take a moment to come home to yourself. Great. Thank you, Tracy. So um, before we introduce our guest, Um, here's a letter from a listener. This is a therapist in private practice. Her name's Kara. And she says, Dear Deb and Tracy, recently I tried to share feelings about practice with an office mate of mine. We're at about the same stage of practice building, but I'm several years older than her. I told her I sometimes felt like I was exuding a negative vibe and my clients could feel it. This sense had something to do with the major stressors I was going through at the time. Um, taking my ex back to court about child support, dealing with my aging mother's issues, worrying about my kids, doing online school, having to work around my childcare schedule. I felt really concerned that I was having my personal distress spill over into my work. And I wanted to know if my friend ever had the same feelings, but she just looked at me like I was nuts. She didn't get it. And then I felt even worse about myself. I really wish I could talk to my colleagues about work and life and emotions, but I feel very hesitant now. Does it sound like I should change careers? Maybe I'm no good for this field. That's from Kara. So, okay, with Kara's letter in mind, let's introduce our guest, Dr. Doug Shirley of the Seattle School. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you're here. And I think this is going to be an especially lively conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I have talked a little bit about loneliness and professional Mm -hmm. loneliness, um, about connection and being a professional helper. Mm -hmm. So let's just kind of open the door to that. Right on. Well, I don't think even as I um, thought moving into today, I was thinking we, we can't separate anything we do as professionals, as counselors from our humanity. 
And so, for instance, you know, we've been talking pandemic the last two to three years, but the conversation that I remember that preceded that was epidemic of loneliness. And maybe especially for middle-aged men, of which I guess I now fit that category, right? So this is something that seemed to be with us before COVID. I think many have wondered if it's gotten worse. The American Uh Psychological Association just released a a meta-analysis on that. So it's been with us. It's probably exacerbated. Here it is. And so especially for those of us that have been in the trenches and working uh, coming out of COVID, I think it's a question we've got to ask. You know, where is it? How is it? How do Uh we deal with it? Yeah, me too. And I don't know if you felt this way, but initially in lockdown in the spring of 2020, I got a break and I kind of felt like, oh, this is this is nice. I'm not having to see anybody. Yeah, so there was a lot of yeah. rest involved there. Yeah. yeah. But at this point, I'd say it's very, very different. Yeah. It's almost well, like we don't know how to re-engage or something. Oh, well, I'm with you. And if if we can rely at all on the accounts of what happened both in the Spanish flu and after the Spanish flu, mental health got worse after the Spanish flu, not, not better, which makes sense, right? As, as practitioners, as body workers, we know when hard things happen, we just sort of hold our breath and we power through. Yeah. But we can't, can't do that forever. At some point, that starts to catch up with us, right? And so right. often it's the after when things start to catch up. So we can assume that people like us are probably going to be struggling more in the days ahead, not less, right? Right. That makes a lot of sense. And that certainly goes with my experience of clients and myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you wrote about um, the barriers to those of us who are in the helping professions, connecting and relating in an intimate way. Yeah. That's how I found you. Was that article? Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a 2012 article. I'm so glad you, you dug it up. Cause what I, when you and I spoke last week, I think the, this, the way that I would want to refresh the screen to that article is to bring the name Karin, Karin Moroda into the mix. She has recently written a text called the analyst vulnerability. It's a 2012 publication. Uh, she blew, blew my mind as I read sort of the opening uh, pages and chapters where she's proposing that for most therapists, we came into this field um, feeling guilty, <laughs> yeah. working out our guilt, to use a psychological term, in reaction formation, that we didn't actually get to experience the anger and rage and grief and loss that we would have felt because maybe we functioned as therapeutic in our families of origin early. Mm -hmm. But because we couldn't actually be honest about that, then in a sense, we had to engage in a reaction formation and say, okay, well, then I'll feel guilty about it. I'll feel like I owe people something, whether Mm -hmm. it's myself or the world or families like mine. Oh, I know I'll go be a therapist. And so we entered the field on this sort of experiential reality of guilt, which then feeds us for much of our careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I got that book after you mentioned it and I started reading it and it's kind of blowing my mind. Uh, Right. I think she's on to something with that. I mean, certainly I remember being in graduate school and thinking to myself, I don't really care about helping people. I just want to understand my crazy yeah. family. I want to totally. get it. But, totally. well, but and, that and, was, Oh, sorry. Does I, that was, I was sort of being a snob in relation to the others who would say, you know, they wanted to practice. I like, well, I think, I I think we're practice. snobs on both sides, right? I think they're the mm-hmm. snobs that say, I just want to know myself or my family better. And then there's others that say, I want to help people. Both are snobberies. Okay. Right? It's the, it's the, yeah. I think it's the thing we'll end up talking about is we're, we're inclined to split, right? As this sort of self, I don't know, awareness or betterment or healing or something mm-hmm. is separate from our vocation of helping other people. Right. Right. Yes. We are inclined to see ourselves as different or superior or um, I think in your, your article, you mentioned we sort of hide behind yeah. rhetoric, relational yeah. rhetoric without actually yeah. relating yes. to each other. Yes. My, my wife says this of me all the time. So my, my wife is also a therapist. We've, we've hit the 18-year mark. <laughs> but, and, and I'd like to say I've progressed maybe further than I have, but she speaks of how I turn litigious in my words when we're arguing, right? Like I get really good and really precise about words. Yeah. yeah. I, can talk, I can talk circles around her. 
and uh-huh. I can feel better about whatever it is I'm trying to defend by talking uh-huh. circles around her. Wow. It's so cool that does you that, know that. Does, well, but does it help me? Does it help me get close to her? No. No. Does it help her feel close to me? No. But now that you know it, are you able to sort of pop out of it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's where I'd like to say, I wish I was further along um, in 18 years. I'm still working on it. Here, here this, is, this is the thing. Have either of you seen Dear Evan Hansen? That rings a bell. It, no. it was a Broadway play. It was turned into a movie. I recently watched the movie coming back on a, on a flight from Spain. And I was like in my seat, like looking at the l- luggage rack, trying to not weep, right? Cause I'm with these, like this soccer team that I was going with, like, okay, pr- pretend like you're not crying. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in this, in this, um, in this story, there's this song words fail where, where he speaks to this phrase. I learned to slam on the brakes before turning the key or the ignition. Ooh. And so, like, I would say, even in my own emotional, mental, spiritual work, like, I'm working on that right now. <laughs> How did I learn to slam on the brakes to my own emotional world before I ever turned the key? And maybe what I did was rather than swap my own car, I sort of got a rental called, I'll be, a, I know, I'll be a therapist. Yeah. And I'll, I'll turn on that ignition and then I'll run that motor and maybe that will liberate me. Yes. Summer. Right. Yes. Oh, that is such a familiar kind of feeling. I recently um, started a support group for um, women therapists, and it's so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right, to have to have other therapists, you know, sitting around a circle and asking yes. me, how are you really doing? Yes. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Yes. 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 Yeah. So again, because my wife and I are both therapists, you know, and we married a little bit later, we both were around 30 when we married, we had to work hard on how are we going to be intimate and pursue each other, but not do therapy. Uh, right. Cause kind of what we knew how to do was we've been taught therapeutic skills right? and the distancing that comes with that. Ooh, right. Right. So how were we, if the skills were going to be of service to us at all, yeah. How could we practice these skills without sort of bringing with it inherently the distancing that came with? We're st- that's still a work in progress, I'd say. But gosh, it took took quite a while to hear a question like, "How are you?" Like she's she's a nudge in all the best loving ways. Right? She'll ask me like three times, "But how are you? How are you really? Yeah. But, but how are you?" And by the third time, I'm like irritated. I told you already. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, but really, yeah. I, but really, I didn't, right? Like I uh-huh. gave her facts or I told her something. Right? Uh-huh. So, yeah. 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 My sister is also a therapist. She works upstairs and she'll say, are you okay? Uh-huh. And I'm like, stop. Stop yeah, asking yeah. me, are, yeah, are yeah. you okay? It makes it feel like there's something wrong. You're, yeah, yeah. you're seeing me. And I well, and, and I love what you did, Deborah. Because both times you've done that, you've sort of gone into your microphone there, and you used the therapist voice, right? Are you okay? <laughs> right, like even that, right? We can take on our therapist voice, <laughs> right. right? We have so yeah. many tricks, right, to sort of signal here I am now as therapist. You know, it's I guess not hear me roar, but hear me speak, right? Yeah. Hear me speak, right? Or don't yeah. hear me. You know, the, right. let's get off the subject of me. Right, right, right. Get on the subject of you. Because I'm right. comfortable there. Right. Which um, kind of reminds me of uh, relational cultural theory. We talked a little bit about yeah. that yeah. and how really at the deep down bottom of all of this, we all deeply crave connection. It's probably yeah. what we crave the most. Right. And yet we do this thing. Right. Where we take ourselves out of connection. Right. right. Yeah. Right. In order to you- preserve it. Right. You, you and I connected a little bit around that RCT notion that when we privilege autonomy, things get wonky, right? So mm-hmm. I remember um, in 2016, I literally pressed send on the final version of my dissertation. And that night, my brains fell out. The anxiety and panic that I had carried, you know, I think it was maybe like a juror form I had recently filled out that said, you know, how many years had you been in school? It's like 27, right? (laughs) So I had been carrying all of this baggage for like 27 years as a quote unquote student. 
And now I had arrived as a, you know, someone who had completed their doctorate. And it was like, all of a sudden in my psyche, there was this crash and this opportunity for things to fall apart. You I mean, I don't have to carry it anymore. I've proverbially arrived, right? And so in that season, I had the worst panic and anxiety of my life. But if I follow RCT, if it's not about being autonomous, but it's about being connected, I would say my health and well-being actually took a bump because I had to be so connected. Because if I wasn't, I wouldn't have made it. I got into therapy. I had to do you know, exercise and massage. And I'm talking to my wife all the time. If this thing hadn't happened, I wouldn't have connected in the way that I did, right? And so it sort of took a crisis for me to come back to my need to connect uh -huh. and to see that as healthy as opposed to, do I exude symptoms of panic or not? Right. So after your brains fell out, you sought help from others. And, and, and I think probably as much as anything, connection, help in the form of connection, right? Because I felt so deeply, I mean, the experience of panic was just being so deeply alone. Right. Those, those uh, you know, autonomy is really prized in our society. Yes. Um, you know, often to the detriment of connection with others. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm a body worker, but I'm curious now that you talk about this uh, inability for therapists to relate to each other, at least very well. Do you believe therapists in mental health care are good at self-soothing? Because I'm a, I'm a body worker. I'm not very good at self-soothing, so I often need to reach out to others to help co-regulate, but it sounds like your discussion is saying that maybe that doesn't happen as much in your profession. I think not at all. Should we, should we talk about that after the break? Or we, do we need to go we to break? We should, yeah. Let's take okay. a little break and we'll be right back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. Welcome back. I had just been asking about mental health care practitioners wondering if they were good at self-soothing, <laughs> making them less inclined to co-regulate with other people. <laughs> Such a great question, Tracy. Where it took me to was the... Um, office of a massage therapist I saw a handful of years ago who told me that literally I was her worst patient. Oh, and, and what cool. she meant by that was my body <laughs> had the most knots and disfigurements or whatever um, that she was seeing at the moment. Oh. 
Oh my goodness. And, and I have to admit, I sort of had this mixed response. There was a little bit of me that was, that was proud of it, which Uh I think is actually in the water, right? Uh Like we as therapists are supposed to be able to take a lick in and keep on ticking. We're long suffering. Don't you think, right? Compassionate and, you know, be there on behalf of other people. And we sit still and we're not even supposed to squirm. Yes. Right. And so when our bodies then, then start to show the wear and tear of that, well, that must mean we're doing good work. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, true. so at, you know, so as a human, I thought, oh, thank God for saying that. Yes, I've been hurting. Right. But then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, but that shows I'm doing good work. Right. So I think that's in the water. I think that's oh. in the water. If we stay with RCT, right, this notion of most of our ethical codes are set up to keep us apart. Right. They sort of borrow on Carol Gilligan's notion that we're we're really sort of ultimately abiding by an ethic of strangers. Oh. Our ethical codes do not do a good job of bringing us together. You asked about co-regulate. Do not mm. do a good job of inviting us to co-regulate. No. Largely, it's what is what does Jordan speak of it as a do-it-yourself ethic. Mm-hmm. Right. This idea of, of we're sort of given all the tools to close the door shut the world out, be ahistorical and a-contextual, and know the theory and apply it in a do-it-yourself do autonomous way. Where is the co-regulation? And if we try to co-regulate with our clients, then people start to give us the fisheye of, our, you know, do we have boundary issues and are we keeping an accurate separation or a healthy separation? The whole thing is rigged. Oh, fitness ring. I, I told Tracy what a year ago, we're not allowed to hug our clients. No. And right. you, you had a reaction to this. I did. I mean, you're highly trained professionals. I, I'm a massage therapist. I went through a year long program and, it, you know, human touch is very, can be very therapeutic. So it surprised me when I learned that psychologists, mental health care practitioners were banned really from touching their clients or, or at least there's this sort of general sense of like well careful because mm-hmm. if you do it you know you might be treading on thin ice yeah right there's not a generosity there's not a generous read there's skepticism yes right yes we're under the microscope yes on our connection with our love for our clients yes 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 well yeah. said are we allowed to, are we allowed to say that out loud yeah, can we right, use that? We, that we love them, right? Are we allowed to say? Yeah. Are we allowed I, to receive love their friends. love? Me right, too. that's me even too. more uncomfortable. Like, yeah, oh, love me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so okay. Back to Kara. She writes okay. this letter uh, about an encounter that she has with an office mate, and she's. Yeah. Um, it sounds like trying to say. I'm worried about this in myself. Have you ever had the feeling? And so what happens is the, the person she's talking to just kind of looks at her blankly. Yeah. Which has happened to me. In fact, this reminded me of a, a, an experience several years ago. I was officing with um, a handful of younger therapists and I was saying to them over lunch, I'm really tired. I find myself bored. Um, I've, I really just feel like I need sleep. I just need to go away for a while. And um, this is not interesting right now. And, uh, and their answer to me was so shaming. Well, maybe, yeah, that sounds like something, something that a person would say when they need to retire. Um, and I, I, that wasn't helpful because I'm not ready to retire. That's not, not really what I'm saying, but I, I get the sense that Kara had a similarly shaming moment yeah trying to relate yeah yeah well if we go back to Maroda's notion that we're all sort of sitting on all all meaning therapists or how about many of us most of us sitting on geysers of aggression to me that would say it's going to come out in a handful of ways When, when i teach students counseling skills i'll even caution them around how they make interpretations of clients may be a way for them to work out their aggression, right? So whether it's we interpret each other, oh, maybe you're not in the right field, or oh, maybe this is your transference with that client, right? We can work out our aggression with each other that way. We can also work it out with our clients and being abundantly clear. And here I am as this knower, and let me tell you about this thing that I know. 
right? right? Aggression, I remember from, from days of teaching out of social psychology texts, texts, most aggression is rooted in fear, right? And so, I mean, you all tell me if you agree. I think there's so much fear at the heart of our practice. Deborah, you and I talked last week. I, I think there's this in our field, I think it's sadly in the world, but in our field for sure, there's this gotcha that just mm-hmm. sort of sits and waits and prays on us all, right? This sense of, you know, the soundbite of who we're supposed to be in a 50 minute hour to me is sort of like what um, Firestone uh, called fantasy bond, right? Like we had this sort of fantasy bond with this version of ourselves that is ideal. Oh. And when we're not ideal, crash. And it seems like our field is set up with all of these potholes and IEDs, all these gotchas, Uh right? Oh, you didn't keep back your documentation. Oh, you transgressed that boundary. Oh, you said you were sleepy with your client. Oop, you said you're bored. You're in the right. It's all gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. No wonder we don't feel safe leaning in. Right. Right. Maroda speaks of this as, you know, we took Winnicott's notion of good enough mother and the good enough inherently became perfect. So to be good enough means to be perfect. So if we were perfect, that would mean we were whole, W-H-O-L-E. That would mean we wouldn't need each other, which gets back to your question, Tracy, around do we co-regulate? You know, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to encourage other people to do it, right? But we we don't have time for that. Well, you better be good at self-regulating, then. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't, if you can't co-regulate, co-regulate. that's the only other choice. So. Yeah. But don't you think, to me, all self-regulation is remembrance of co-regulation, right? In other words, uh, if I self-regulate, hmm. that's me as a mammal being able to draw on internal resources of times when I co-regulated with another. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So to me, there is no self-regulation without co-regulation. Oh, I'm so glad right? you said that. Right? So which to me then says for many of us as therapists, we're not self-regulating in the office. We're aggressing. Or we're aggressing with each other. This is, I think, your question, Deborah. We're aggressing with each other out. Somebody's got to pay. Yeah. So it was not going to be our clients. It was going to be each other. You know, I went to see Tracy a year ago or so, back pain, and and you mapped a, an emotion in my body, and it was um, self-torture. Do you remember that? I, I don't remember that, but <laughs> that sounds like me. Self-torture. And you said it has something to do with work. Yeah, yeah. It's and all I, coming I knew, clear. Like yeah. instantly, I knew what it was. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be here and yeah. do this thing perfectly yes. um, and question myself constantly. But yes. I don't get the same thing in return from anybody. Yes. I can't. Yes. Well, and don't you think that got even worse in COVID? Like you were supposed to know how to do that in a pandemic now. Yeah. Right. And don't, don't get afraid of getting sick or whatever yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm having nightmares about COVID and, Oh, I forgot my mask. And, and, but I'm supposed to pack it all up and be really there for you. And I know you're scared. And I'm supposed to be not scared. Yes. Another colleague upstairs here uh, said to me that working with the young adults during the last couple of years, and they would comment about the state of the world and things going on in the news and how hopeless they felt. And she, she confided that she sits there and, and thinks, I got nothing for you because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling that too. And I was yeah. so grateful for her. Yeah. admitting that yes yes that moment of yes. i got nothing yes. yes yes well you know i mean the truth is the truth that sets us free right and sometimes the truth is painful and so to say i got nothing mm-hmm. that's probably a truth that all of us grapple with but if we think we're supposed to have something then we make mm-hmm. stuff then we make mm-hmm. stuff up yeah. um yeah. i i i <laughs> years ago earned a master's of divinity i was sort of open to becoming a pastor. I was very glad that the call to pastor didn't come, but I work with pastors in my practice now. And so I work with probably a, a, a mix of helping and healing professionals. And so, you know, I get to be behind the veil with these people, not unlike me, who are supposed to have their stuff together, mm. who are supposed to know what they're doing, who, who say really wise sounding things, 
Yeah. Right. Oftentimes when I hear my own counsel, I think, oh, that's good. I should remember that. I need some of that. Right. But here's the thing. I'd love to see what y'all think of this. What I've gotten to is if any of us believe we're supposed to be masters at our craft. So in other words, masters at the messages that we sort of give on behalf of other people, I think we're cooked. But if we can have a sense that we sing the song that we need to hear, then our vocation and sort of the intersection of our personal and professional lives gets made clear, right? If I need to hear about co-regulation and connection as much as my clients do, and therefore those are words that come out of my mouth, wouldn't that be a mutually beneficial frame? And yes, of course, everything that we do is in service to client and it needs to be. But I think a lot of times what that then means is we're supposed to then be out of the picture. Mm-hmm. But the oddity of that is every, well, I don't know if it's every piece of research, but so many pieces of research tell us it's the relationship mm-hmm. that heals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'd love to even true. I think that's even true for body work. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I imagine. I imagine. So would you all, I'd love to hear if you had thoughts, this, this idea, we all sing the songs we need to hear. Would you have any, any, any thoughts or reflections on that? Mm. My thought is basically that, you know, I just studied with Anat Banyel in, in California. And she, the first chapter of her book, Kids Beyond Limits, is from fixing to connecting. So the belief is, in, in for a lot of body workers, that the most important thing is that feeling of connection. It's the yes. first step yes. in the healing process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, without that, nothing else happens. Yes. Right. But I think right. it's easier in the body work world. It's potentially easier. It's There's less of this idea of you have to stay, you know, disconnected in a way detached right mm-hmm. detached right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think deborah what would you say well the song um the song that i need to hear is where my brain went and and it's a song about um you are inherently good mm-hmm. and you are loved in fact mm-hmm. i'm thinking about um I'm blanking on his name. Um, he wrote Proof of Heaven, which is kind of a corny sounding title for a book, but but you might know who I'm talking about. Neurosurgeon, um, even Alexander, um, who had the, you know, the brain virus. He went into a coma for several days and then he came out and he had to, he had this experience while he had no brain activity and he came out and he wrote this book and he says basically you are loved deeply and completely you have nothing to fear and you can make no mistake Mm. i think that's what Mm. I need to hear that song, and that's and that's what Dang, I. Dang, that's good. That's good. And and if 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 I remember from your website, a big part of your work is to help connect, reconnect people to their creative center. Is mm-hmm. that right? Getting them to do creative mm-hmm. things. So so yes. if we're loved, and if if we're at home in our own lives and worlds and bodies and things, mm-hmm. then we can create. Right? It's our imagination yeah. that heals that heals us. Right? And so I think yeah. I think in part what we're probably talking about is the lack of imagination that the counseling world has had for a communitarian ethic where we can actually take care of each other, right? Where the good enough mother that Winnicott spoke to that has now become sort of an expectation of perfection, where actually there would be a sense of mothering. There'd be maybe more, I mean, you all are doing it right here, right? More podcasts that are meant to nourish the provider as opposed to telling the provider what they should be doing for someone else. Right. Right? Exactly. Maybe we have more of that, right? That is such a perfect point. That's the perfect spot for us to take a short break. And then we'll be back with Doug Shirley. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. 
Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive podcast. We're here with Dr. Doug Shirley. We've discovered some things that have helped us build a professional village, still in process. So we'd like to share these ideas and invite our listeners to write us about your experiences. So some ideas about how to create your village working across interdisciplinary lines, which Deborah and I do. I'm a body worker. She's a mental health practitioner, psychologist. Work across generational lines, cultural lines, theoretical orientation lines, and refer clients to these new and different friends. And then meet to discuss, you know, how these went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crossing those lines has been really really helpful. And I think it takes some of the pressure off. It's easier in some ways to start relating to a person who's in a completely different field. Yes. So, um, and then reconnecting with other people who do what you do, um, just showing up. Doug, you mentioned something about this, something about rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, I'd love to hear even Tracy if you have a thought about this. But when I when I teach the four R's of trauma recovery, um, I speak of them as ritual, rhythm, repetition, and relationship. Which to me they're all the same, basically yeah. the same thing, right? We we need sort of re things, remembering, putting things back together. So for me, you know, I've consulted through the years um, in my practice, but often they were one off consultations. They were ah, I'm in this ethical dilemma. What do I do? Mm-hmm. As opposed to in the last, I think it's probably five years or so, I've settled in with a consult group where we meet regularly mm. and that rhythm holds us differently. Yeah. In fact, I'm required, if I know that it's going to be my turn to present, there are ways that I may bring things forward that I wouldn't have been inclined to bring forward otherwise because, because the rhythm tells me to. Yeah. If I'm out of the rhythm, then I don't have to bring it forward. But if I'm in the rhythm, then I have to bring mm. it forward. So I'd wonder about that. Does that, does that connect yeah. for you all? Do you find that sort of rhythm to be important? Absolutely. But it, it breaks that idea of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yes. All, of, all of the negative lists that you listed, you, the one you left off was ignoring your bodily needs. You know, yes. I think we were talking on break about how you're not even supposed to fidget. You need right. to sit still. Right. So right. long suffering, ignoring your right. body. If you have to go to the bathroom, good. you just hold right. it. Right. Right. You've got an hour. You're going to sit here. Right. right. So this is a and real so, uh, shift, right? Right. Well, and there's and nothing quick, right? And and often nothing convenient. So it's not a one-off. It's not right. I go to my massage therapist 
once in a while. It's, do I schedule regular meetings? Yeah. Do I schedule regular walks? Do I schedule regular time with, with my wife? Do I have my monthly consult group? Because those rhythms will hold us even when we don't know that we need to be helped. Right. They, they will observe you. Those people will come to know you yes. and they can see maybe when you're suffering yes. and bear witness well, to that. Well, and maybe even my body will know to anticipate that it's coming, even when my conscious mind doesn't. Ooh, right. right. Like I get to let down with this group of people who may not actually hold it against me if I am vulnerable. Right. My body uh, may prep for that, even in ways that I don't, that my mind isn't. Oh, sure. That's such a profound concept. And that was a, like a download I got the other night. I get these downloads as I'm falling asleep. And that was uh, last week, I, I realized my body knows things that my mind doesn't know. Yes, yes. Which is yes. really cool. So, yes. um, another thing here is um, ask for feedback. And this goes mm. with your group, Doug. Mm -hmm. Listen to ourselves in relation to these others. Listen to how we ask. Listen to how they respond and how we receive that. Yes, yes. I, I pretty consistently, I've been seeing the same therapist for six years myself, and pretty consistently, oh, oh, this was his phrase for me fairly recently, you're so sophisticated in your defenses, right? I just had to laugh, right? Therapists make the worst clients, whether it's a massage therapist or a mother therapist, right? Because we know the things to say to keep people away from our source yes. box, right? So a lot of times what I'll have to do, even in my own therapy, is just sort of give my own interpretation of a thing. So I can sort of get it off of me. Right. And the king sort of laugh at myself, right? So that then I can actually take in, you know, I sometimes have to ask my therapist, can you say that again? Because I, what I had to work through at first was my clinical interpretation of what you just said. Mm -hmm. Now I've actually got to climb in back into my own skin and hear for myself what you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to um, audio tape my therapy sessions. Oh, there you go. And then listen to them later. So there you I go. really hear myself. There you go. There you go. And Deborah, you, you had said somewhere, you, uh, you had spoken of um, a mentor that you had, right? That yes. a relationship that has fed you. She has become my surrogate mom. Her name is Sally St. Clair. She's a psychologist in Dallas. Uh, yeah. She turns 82 this year, and she has a thriving practice. She doesn't want to retire. And um, she, she loves what she does. And yeah. I think um, over the years, I, she was my postdoc supervisor. And then we just became friends and then family to each other. And I don't know that I could have done this. I know I couldn't have done this without Sally. Yeah in the background, cheering me. She always expects the best. And so I'm not afraid to tell her when I have a, a problem or a sticky clinical situation. I, um, I may have told you I, I lost a client to suicide not too long ago. And it was oh the most devastating thing that had happened in, in a while. And um, oh I was a little bit reluctant to talk with her about it. I, I brought my, my shame um, but she, and I told her that, I said, I was a little bit scared to tell you about this. Yeah. And she yeah. just held that moment, you know, yeah. she just kind of held me in this very nurturing space. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she continues to help me grieve that. Yeah. I, I was thinking as I was prepping to talk with you all that what I think what you all are doing for us is you're sort of serving as elders, right? And so to me here in the West, we just simply, we've kind of done away with our elders, right? Like we throw them into their own care units or what have you, right? We, we privilege adolescents and that which is sort of young and vibrant. But that sense of like, I love your, your notion of interdisciplinary and cross lines. So sure, maybe we need a professional mentor, but even just an elder who knows life and suffering and pain and can receive us, right? I, I think not just in the counseling profession, but in healing professions, really everywhere, we need a return of eldering. And yeah. so there's, I think there's something that you all are offering, even in this podcast that gives that. I hope so. That is Thank my desire. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so here's an idea. Help each other. Save spots in your schedule for seeing colleagues. I know this is going to be a controversial mm -hmm. thing, but I think we need to trade with each other mm -hmm. and see each other. And maybe that's not mm -hmm. the only therapy we get, but it's a, it's a way to hold space for each other. Mm -hmm. What do you all think of that? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I try to trade with a lot of other massage therapists. And my practice is different because people only come to me for pain and dysfunction. So I actually relate more to what you all are saying about how you're placed in kind of this position of authority and and detachment, Mm -hmm. which if if you're trying to connect with somebody, this constant feeling of being evaluated or evaluating yourself, Mm -hmm. evaluation and self-evaluation will normally move people into a fight-flight mode, Mm -hmm. which makes it much harder, if not, well, it makes it much harder to socially engage with people and to connect with other people. And you talk about transference, and Deborah and I talk a lot about limbic mirror neurons. So the moment you are placing yourself in this position of being evaluated by yourself or by imaginary others, chances are you're in a biobehavioral state that is blocking you from forming a true connection. But not only that, your limbic mirror neurons or transference may be transitioning them into fight flight as well. And this is what Deborah and I describe as a frenzy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, and it, and it makes me think about, so, um, you know, let's add to what you're saying there. If most of us got into the helping professions because of the deprivation we experienced, I mean, we like to say, oh, I'm the one that people would always talk to in parties. And, you know, I'm the one that people wanted to talk, you know, sure. Mm. But it was pain and deprivation that got us here. Right. What that would say is for most of us, there's probably still some template of scarcity, you know, and typically it plays out like, oh, I don't have time for that. I need that hour to make money. Or, you know, like the barter or whatever it would be, you know, like sort of suspicions around that. We're not used to being generous or even assuming that there'll be enough to go around, right? There's this sort of fundamental template of of deprivation and scarcity Mm -hmm. that I think is in most of us still. That's a really good point. And that that kind of drives the competition between us. Yes, Keeps us. And so we're we're, it, we're we're to be at odds with each other or distant from each other instead of giving to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would it be like if we could drop that? Yes. Really, what would it? What it be? Would we put ourselves at risk? Well, I mean, it gets back to what Tracy was just saying, right? How do we need to reevaluate our evaluative structures? Because our evaluative structures that were meant to protect us are actually doing less of that and keeping us apart from the very protections that we need, which is yes. each other. Yes. Loneliness upon loneliness. Well yes. Said. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. So another thing on our list is uh, groups that move together, um, exercising with people. Um, I've been in an office situation where we had a yoga teacher come in weekly to teach all of us. And that I, th- I thought that was really good for us not only because of the movement in the middle of the day, but also just because we were doing it together. You know, Bessel Bessel Vanderkolk talks so much about, I think he even goes as far as to call it unethical. When you throw two people into a room in a seated posture where they're supposed to sit still and speak rationally about traumatic things. Oh, It's not just ineffective. I think he goes as far as calling it unethical. Unethical. How in the world are you supposed to do that if you don't get up and move? If you can't move with each other in some way, how are you supposed to do that? You know, you, I mean, we're, we're assuming the prefrontal cortex is going to kick in, but we're not, we're not dealing with the brainstem that needs to move. Right. Absolutely. Moshe Feldenkrais said that movement is the best form of self-improvement. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, even the word emotion, if we're in the field of emotions, emotera, to right. move out, to move right? But out. remember, if somebody gets too emotional, then, we, then it's sort of like, shh, right? <laughs> yeah. my, my, my office mate next door might get unnerved. Shh, I hand you the tissue box to basically mm-hmm. tell you, tamp it down. So mm-hmm. I love anything that gets us moving together. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love so maybe that. walking groups or yeah. dancing groups or 
Well, and we're going to be talking later in the series about dancing and, and a lot about movement. Yes. The thing that Deborah and I've talked a lot about, um, you know, movement is the main information our brains process. So it's always easier to feel what's going on in your body while you're moving. So in my practice, after every correction, I say, get up, walk around and see if you notice any differences. Yeah. Right. Well, so I know we, we have just a few minutes before we have to close mm-hmm. for today. And I feel like I could talk with you guys for mm-hmm. an hour about mm-hmm. this. It's so important. Um, big takeaway. What's the most important thing for therapists to take away from this conversation? I would say, I, you know, Deborah, you and I spoke last week by phone. And I would say it was the connection that you made with me, that I made with you, that, well, at least I hope I made with you, that had me looking forward to today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I figured, Tracy, if, if if you're with her and she's with you, then we'd probably connect. And then we yeah. connected a couple of minutes before, right? And who gives a rip what any of us know, right? Knowledge is so temporary, right? But right. to me, if, if people have felt any sense of connection between yeah. us, go do that. Go seek that, right? Go seek yeah. a gaggle of people that you can connect with and be nourished that way. I think that's what we're talking about. I do too. I'll back that up. I'll jump on that bandwagon for sure. I love it. I love it. We need that. Thank you so much, Dr. Doug Shirley at the Seattle School. Um, Where can people reach you? Yeah. Um, Let's see. DougShirleyResearch.com. DShirley at the Seattle School uh, dot org. Wonderful. We hope we can bring you back on the show sometime. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you so so much. So thank you all for joining us today. Um, please, please send us your thoughts to reconceive therapy at gmail.com. Join us next time for a look at therapist addiction and art. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.